Welcome back to Crime Scene Queens. Your girls are back to teach you all of those goodies that you like to know about forensics and to debunk any bullcrap that you see on TV. <laughs> we're here to <laughs> we're here to give you all sorts of stories that are fun. Sometimes they're a little sad. Sometimes they're like, oh my God. Sometimes they'll have you create faces and sometimes they'll have you wish that you weren't eating. And sometimes they'll have you touch your face. And sometimes they'll have you touch your face. If you listen to our Skulls episode, you were definitely touching your face and or head. As always, I am your friendly CSI, Laura. And I am Shelly. I am your legal beagle and your resident court kitty cat. I love it. I love having a court kitty cat in my corner. But before we get into the topic, I wanted to let you know, Shelly, because I know you've been concerned. Yeah. Humans shed 600,000 skin cells per day and yeah. up to a pound and a half of skin cells per year. Okay, so on that note, that's why you wash your sheets frequently. And replace your mattress. Yeah, and replace your mattress because bed bugs love that stuff. But also, okay, so 600,000 skin cells per day, right? Mm -hmm. So all five feet of me, am I going to have the same amount of skin cells shed as a six foot four dude? The number is approximate. So I imagine uh -huh. there's a variance based on size and stature. Obviously, somebody who's got more to shed and like activity level, right? Maybe yeah. if you're doing more things that cause your body to have friction, you know, you're going to see more cell <laughs> loss. <laughs> Basically, so or if you, you work in porn, maybe a lot more comes off of you. <laughs> there you go. Or, or, you know, using your loofah, you can also shed some skin cells there. That's right. If you've had a nice exfoliant treatment. Yeah. yeah. Heck mm -hmm. yeah. On the note of shedding particles from your sneeze can Achoo. travel. That's right. They can travel up to 26 feet and the droplets can linger in the air for up to 10 minutes. So you know how you can like smell somebody's sneeze? No. Never smelt someone's sneeze? I've smelt sneezes. I guess I'm, my husband always says that I have a heightened sense of smell because I can smell like everything. Maybe it's just me. I can Maybe. smell sneezes. Maybe I'm the beagle. <laughs> there you go. Maybe. Okay. So like when people sneeze and they hold their sneeze in, I hear that kills brain cells. I don't know if that's true or not. I didn't look into that. It sounds like something that's like someone silly said that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when I sneeze, it's like a full blown hot chew. And hot I'm sure chew. that travels 26 feet ain't got nothing on my sneeze because yeah. I'm sure mine is launching farther than that. I'm not a delicate sneezer. No, I can't imagine that you're a delicate oh, sneezer, actually. Oh, uh, right. So another interesting fact. So mm -hmm. did you know that if you can look at the sun and sneeze, that's a gene? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Sneezing is different after you have children also, for those of you who yeah. don't know. Yeah, you better cross your legs. You better cross your legs. <laughs> you, might, you might pee a little. Unless it you want to pay for a laser to oh. zap mm -mm. you three times for $700 a pop, and then maybe you won't Who does that? pee every time you sneeze. For some people, people can like, afford it. Yeah, I can't afford that. I guess depending on your health insurance, places might cover it, or maybe you just like have daddy dollars. But if you think about the fact that sneezes travel that far and linger that long, it makes you think about like, okay, so whether or not you are on the extremely protective or kind of loosey-goosey with COVID, that's still yeah. kind of gross, right? Like no matter where you land. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was just going to say like six feet. Six feet is nothing if a sneeze can travel 26, 26 feet. 26 feet. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're like, you know, six feet for, what, 15 minutes or something like that? So, like, when we're talking about skin cells shedding and sneezes lingering, it kind of reminds me of one of the foundational elements of forensics and crime scene investigation. You and I have talked about this more than once. Yes. It's that Locard exchange theory. So, said very simply, it's... Every contact leaves a trace. That's right. Every contact leaves a trace. And if you want to elaborate a little bit further... Basically, when you enter a space and then leave it, it is scientifically impossible for you to have not left something from you in that space and brought something from that space with you when you went. So basically, there will be evidence on you of having been there and evidence in the space of you having visited, even if it's a microscopic or macroscopic level. Exactly. So this kind of gets into some of the other foundational elements of crime scene investigations, such as the evidence triangle that we've talked about before, the three points of the triangle being suspect, victim, and scene. And then like the things that connected are the evidence. As we know, everything builds off of this in one way or another. And what we don't want is things from law enforcement or any investigation standpoint from us to contaminate that evidence triangle or bastardize that Lucard exchange theory. That's why we wear things like PE or personal protective equipment, gloves, goggles, breathing apparatuses, shoe covers, and at some point a full Tyvek or bunny suit, hair covers, whatever we need, right? Prior episodes, we talked about how there was like the DNA from Mm -hmm. the crime scene investigator on a rope that was found on scene. And it's like, oops, maybe they pulled their mask down to say something, maybe to sneeze, and they were 26 feet away. Who knows? Also, even a very responsible CSI could have that happen just because it's science. It's literally like we do our best to never have that happen. It certainly hasn't happened to me, but that doesn't mean that the person it happened to was not a good CSI. Or investigator. It just means oh, yeah. that it happened, right? Who knows? Who knows why or what? But yeah, it happens. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. So like essentially what these things are are contaminants. So a contaminant is a polluting or even sometimes poisonous substance that makes something impure. So if you think about it in a crime scene perspective, the moment the crime has occurred, every second to minute to hour after that, a degradation occurs, whether it's evidence spreading or being contaminated or being altered or being removed Mm -hmm. or something being added in, which is circling back to the phrase contaminant. So a crime scene investigator's nightmare is the fact that most of this contamination happens not from the suspect mm-hmm. or from the public, though that does happen, by the way. Mm-hmm. Most of it, in my experience, Shelley, comes yeah. from other law enforcement people involved in the investigation, whether it's a first responding officer or a detective or the chain of command. Yeah. Second biggest perpetrator of this is fire rescue personnel. Okay. Yes. So or med- yeah, medical, medical, medical. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And we can give them a pass, but sometimes you're like, come on, bro. Come on. The pass is 
they're doing things to save someone's life and they don't always think about whatever it is. Whenever they come on scene, they should always have gloves and a mask, but sometimes they don't necessarily always have a mask. Of course. Between calls, they're not Mm -hmm. changing their uniform. So if they're kneeling down or if their sleeve or something was contaminated with someone else's something and then now it's on this scene, then there's potential for that as well. And you know what's funny? It's like there are lead officers on crime scenes and then there's also like investigative people but other cops sometimes show up for support Mm -hmm. and those people might not necessarily be generating a report for the scene because their involvement was just a supporting role scene security whatever and when those guys end up walking their dumb boots or using their stupid hands to touch stuff they shouldn't they get pretty mad when i'm like oh I guess I'm taking your swab and your prints and or shoe impressions for elimination to submit for elimination. They get so cranky. And I'm like, you know that you put your hands in a place where they do not go. No touchy touchy. It's like having a child. (laughs) Sorry, cops. I love you. I swear. But give me a break. Like they get so mad when you have to roll their prints because they don't want to be involved. And then, of course, my report has to mention that I had to collect this from this officer because they accidentally or they made contact with whatever piece of evidence and things like that. It's always a little bit of an uncomfortable moment, and then they get all stank with you. I don't even know if people still use the phrase stank, but back in my day, (laughs) we used stank a lot. We are going to do an episode, and I have the perfect guest for it, too. We're going to have a guest on the show, and they're going to talk about uh, potentially a couple things, depending on how long it runs, but they're going to talk about, you know, back in my day. Back in my day. Not that they're old, but forensics is ever changing and it's rapidly changing. And so the stuff that they use back then, we feel now in the field is a little antiquated because it's not as hip, it's not as new, it's, you know, whatever. And Mm -hmm. actually, we were talking about it today and I was talking to him and he said, you know, I don't even know how we survived doing some of the stuff that we did back then. It's so much easier to do stuff now Although easy doesn't necessarily mean easy because it can be more complicated, although it's easier, if that makes any sense at all. It totally does. You know, I was just thinking like to circle back to like fire rescue. We have mentioned before, number one priority is always preservation of human life. Absolutely. However, there are times when I've arrived at a scene and the person's brains are on the floor wall and ceiling and they still hooked up leads to the victim and they left all right so you guys when they do this they have to peel off like little plastic pieces and there's like paper to rip off so there are the emt's gloves Mm -hmm. there's plastic things and pieces of paper everywhere and trauma shears because they cut off the they cut the victim's shirt so now i'm thinking to myself why did we hook up the person who has no brains to life-saving equipment? Why did we cut through their clothing that has bullet defects in it? Or, pardon me, defense attorneys, suspected bullet defects in it. <laughs> Why did we damage those things when the person's brains are everywhere? And I know this sounds like I'm not speaking nicely about the victim. You guys, this is a hypothetical situation. By hypothetical, I mean more than one of my death investigations, this was the case. Like, this is not one victim. This is yeah. like the person was 
very clearly beyond medical intervention. Yeah. When the brain is in pieces or when it's outside the skull, the person is no longer alive. That's right. And then because that person is typically bleeding or had bled in pooling blood or low velocity spatter or drip, basically blood Mm -hmm. that is exiting the body from gravity, not from the heart pumping. Correct. There will be shoe impressions all around my victim. And now (laughs) I have to figure out whether or not those are the suspect's shoe impressions or an officer or the medical personnel. Mm -hmm. And so then, because they're typically not on scene anymore when I get there, I have to go hunt down which fire rescue unit that was yeah go get their shoes Mm -hmm. and it's a huge pain because i'm not gonna know at that point whose shoe impressions those are and who knows if that person stepped over evidence from the suspect Mm -hmm. so i care and think that saving somebody's life wins if we have lost brains or a person has decomposed to the point of partial skeletonization, maybe don't hook up life-saving equipment to it. Maybe we're done. I have literally had them hook up a decomp. Literally, we're done. They're gone. That and reminds me of Chris's vacation. Oh, what, wait, what, National what part? Air, wait, which one is? When they when he, they cook the turkey and it comes out. And oh, like, and it just, it, it like <laughs> steams open because it's so dry. Yes. Yes. It's just, I'm sorry, that was awful. It's not, it's so bad sometimes. And like, really, they are like our partners in public service. So I'm not trying to sit here and crap on EMTs. These people are literal heroes. Yeah. And I have seen a lot of dead people, but I have not had the displeasure of watching a person die like that in like a traumatic situation. I've seen. I guess I have seen it, but not up close and personal like they do and have to absorb the responsibility of being the one to put in the effort to save this person. So I don't know how that feels. I know that there is a liability to where they have to hook up victims to a certain extent to prove. But if there's brains, we're done. I don't know if that's in their protocols, but that should be in their protocols because, yeah, if the brain has exited the skull, there is no life. Yes. And I've said that like seven times now. I need to stop saying we're done. That's the drinking game oh, for this maybe, episode, you guys. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe maybe that's their shot. So this episode, when shot. you hear they're done, there's your shot. Or we're done, any version of done. Yeah. Just like the turkey from Christmas Vacation, it was done. Yeah. It was so done. My mom always used to tell me turkeys are done and people are finished. Nice. Because saying we're done is not a thing. You're supposed to say we're finished. Or if you watched Laguna Beach like I did in the early 2000s, you would say, my car is donezo. <laughs> People okay, I didn't know that that's where that came from because I used to yeah. say donezo, but I don't know where Dunzo. it came from. Kristen Cavallari. That is so funny. As you like play with your hair, Kristen and Cavallari. I can't Amazing. help it. I'm still a Laguna Beach fan. I just recently rewatched it. Like, Never even seen it. I have no idea what you're talking about It's on right Netflix, now. girl, so hit play. Uh, in my spare time, I will get right <laughs> on that. I, I know you and I have so much spare time. So, like, we're just going to talk about people effing up crime scenes, Shelly. Oh, that's People fun. effing up crime scenes. There you go. Yeah, we're talking about contamination. So Crime scenes that are donezo. Yes, donezo. So I have had a lot of scenes that have these frustrations like I was just describing. Yeah. I was thinking about you because I'm sure that as you've gone through casework, 
you know, chain of custody issues. Oh, yeah. Evidence issues have come up. I can imagine that's been so frustrating in the past or a huge win for your side when you saw like stuff like that, contamination problems. There's definitely been some contamination issues. I know that we don't like mention real victims or anything, but at this point, I think that the OJ train has sailed on that. But that was one of the major issues with the OJ case is these detectives were putting evidence in the trunk of their cars and driving it home. A little bit of contamination there. And then they found them doing all kinds of shady stuff. And that, of course, ruined all of the real evidence. So this has been a tale as old as time is us having to protect. And that is part of our ethical responsibility as well. Yeah, for sure. I have had a cop like hand me a homicide gun with his bare hands. Yeah. 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 And I have to bitch about one other thing. Cops don't always use the latex or nitrile gloves. Sometimes they buy like weightlifting gloves or like reusable gloves. gloves. Mechanics (laughs) gloves. And they think that it's okay to just keep these nasty ass things in their police car and use that on every crime scene. Yeah. And that that exempts them from being liable for contamination issues and things. I'm like, no, you can't touch evidence with that. So this guy hands me a gun with gloves that are so dirty that you can literally, because like part of it is sometimes fabric and then part of it is like- Like a crust? Yeah. Like a sweat crust? Or like a rubbery part, but then it starts to fragment over time. Yeah. And I'm like, I can see those. That's disgusting. You're still getting swabbed. God knows how many people you have put your hands on with those gloves. Like, by the way, for every law enforcement officer listening to this, if you have reusable weightlifting or mechanics gloves, no, sweetheart, we're done. (laughs) Take your next shot. There's nothing in these policies and procedures or SOPs that specifically say that you can't use those, that you have to use disposables. But don't pick up the gun and hand it to me. Yeah, and this deputy, he's smarter than that, and he didn't do anything like that. Just to circle back to this whole, like, okay, yes, people do have latex allergies. I have had two crime scene partners with latex allergies. Shout out to Sevi and Rachel. They function just fine with nitrile crime scene gloves, you know, in the unit that I was in with Rachel, I don't even think we had latex gloves in the crime scene unit because there was no point in having them there. I was fine with not having latex, but I think when I worked with Sevi, she just had her own little cabinet because you don't want to cause somebody to go into anaphylaxis or whatever rash. So there is alternatives, even in the crime scene world. Just like there's nitrile condoms, there's nitrile crime scene gloves to help you protect yourself. Yeah, these are two different professions in a way. So, you know, I was thinking about like this thing about like cops and evidence. And let me give you an example. I've alluded to this case before, but I didn't provide as much meat on the bones as I'm about to. (laughs) Essentially, a pregnant woman pulled up to a gas station with her infant in the car so this sweet thing i think her baby was literally like eight months old and she's pregnant and she's pumping her gas and somebody walks up to her and sticks a gun in her face because they want to steal her car oh boy so she's at the gas pump position which i believe in her vehicle was the passenger's side was where her gas door thing is Uh and the other person was on the driver's side and her infant was behind the driver's seat so they were like 
we're stealing your car. And she's like, give me my baby first. And they're like, no, F you. And she's like, I'm not letting you take my car without my baby. Like, you can kill me or whatever. And the guy took the baby out. So the other guy on the driver's side, he took the baby out of the back. I don't know how he knew how to, I mean, he must have had children himself, whatever the reason is. He took the baby out and put her on the ground and then they took off. And when we get there, she's holding the infant, but the car seat had been touched by the suspect. Yeah, we've had a case like that. Picks it up and brings it to me with his bare hands. No, don't do that. And I'm like, are you in? Because now, not only do I have to swab him, you have to print him. But that evidence is very volatile. Yes, that evidence is volatile. It's not like somebody was constantly touching this. This man made contact for a second. And while that's enough, you don't want to be introducing other DNA profiles, diluting the mixtures. Exactly. Or degrading. So I was pissed because. Yeah. I wasn't even a mother at that time, but like this sweet girl, like I still remember her name. I'm obviously not going to call it out. I still remember the baby's name. Like I remember everything. It was just like I was having a personal dedication to this case. My husband was a detective and we did end up getting one of them and he got sentenced to 35 years. And Good. I'm super happy. I'm so happy. That's awesome. I know. That's I don't awesome. like that the other guy is still outstanding, yeah. but yeah. 35 years is is a good one. He yeah. was just trying to help by giving you the car seat because I think in the moment maybe they just think there like, was oh no my gosh, here you it. go. There was no yeah, baby but in still, it. Still, like they're he like, picked here, up the car you. seat with his bare hands. No, yeah, no, Shelly. I'm not I don't giving know. I'm you this to figure one. It out. No, I don't know. No, I don't know. Nope. He can fuck off. Was he a rookie? No. No. He should have known better. I still love him, though, for those of you who, like, think obviously. that I mean. Yeah, still love well, him. Obviously, but no. you love him, but, like, you just want to slap his hand and be like, drop it. Like a dog. Like, drop yeah. it. I think I was like, no, yeah, like a dog. <laughs> Leave it there. Leave it. <laughs> okay, let me make it worse. So a law enforcement officer who shall 100% remain nameless. <laughs> I had a shooting investigation, and it was a home invasion. And so it wasn't a homicide. Nobody died, thank goodness. But there was a lot of blood because this home invasion essentially ended up being there was return fire. It was like a whole big deal. And a lot of blood spatter all over the house, a lot of shoe impressions, obviously, some footprints in the blood. Because, you know, not everybody was wearing shoes. And everything. So this home opened up into a great room. And then it had one of these kitchens that had a pass-through into the living room. And so everything happened in that main space. So I'm processing the crime scene, or I should say documenting it. You can literally see the activity. Like, everything was very clear. Blood tells a story. We'll get a blood spatter expert on this show eventually to get a lot more granular into this than I'm being right now. Like, of course, I can tell you about blood, but I am certainly not going to start when I know there are people that are better at that. But the evidence is telling the story we like to see, entry, exit, where people fell. We even could see certain paths, some fire rescue. It was obvious based on the kind of the equipment scatter that we discussed earlier. But yeah, as a best practice, you document the whole entire place, whether or not there was activity there or not. So I'm taking my pictures and 
I notice very slight blood shoe like transfer patterns. Not mm-hmm. it was faint and it was partial, and okay. it kept going all the way to a bathroom. And oh. I noticed two shoes a little bit more pronounced than the rest of it in front of the toilet. And I'm like, what the fuck? Who had time for the potty during this or after? It was a cop. A cop walked through the blood. No. And used the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And it was a man because of the direction the shoes were facing. Okay? Because women aren't facing the toilet. When we have a a blood stain pattern analyst, an expert on the show, definitely we will. They can explain transfers and swipes. Yeah, swipes and all that. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. But this was very clearly different. Like, So what Shelly's referring to is like this was more of a – so the shoe was transferring the blood rather than a shoe stepping in into the blood so it's the difference between like the shoe impression or shoe print like we're talking about or a transfer pattern which is like a stamp yeah okay yeah when you Mm -hmm. know bloody surface comes in contact with another surface that's the transfer pattern so you know the other surface is a shoe and it comes in contact with the bloody surface that was absolutely infuriating as you can imagine because a lot of officers had responded to this scene but wait a second. Mm-hmm. I got a question about that. So whenever we go to places where there's incidents, we yep. always photographed the bathroom, the toilet, and uh-huh. the contents in the toilet. So did this officer flush? I don't recall seeing a mess. Okay. We always photograph like that kind of stuff. We photograph, mm-hmm. you know, fridges that, you know, weird. Yep. Like people are like, why are you doing this? Well, there's reasons that we do stuff. For sure. Yeah, so that's like evidence. I don't want to say tampering because that's that's a negative. That, it but it's is, like almost right. if there was potential evidence, then it's destroying the evidence. That's a no no. Drop it. No, leave it. No, I agree. <laughs> but I think that when you're talking about evidence tampering, there has to be an intent to destroy. Correct. Correct. And that's why, yeah, I didn't want to use so the word like tampering. this is more idiocy. This was just a I wasn't thinking, man, I had I had to I had I'm pee. stupid. Yeah. There's a Gatorade bottle, bro. It's really simple for you. Quite difficult. I know. For, not quite difficult. We can do it. We can handle. <laughs> Chairpose, Kegels. <laughs> can I just tell you like my shoe impression story? Uh-huh. It's really short and I don't want to get into super details, but pretty much what happened is that's actually how they figured out who committed the crime because mm-hmm. usually when someone is covered with the sheet, so there was a, a there was a female that was murdered. When they're covered with the sheet, it's because it's an emotional thing. So usually it's someone that's close to them or someone that knows them. So they cover them so they don't have to Mm -hmm. look at it. It's just a thing that we know and we document and it usually is the way that it is. But when they were covering her, they stepped on the sheet. And of course, they murdered her in a way that created a lot of blood. Mm -hmm. And when they stepped on the sheet, it left a bloody shoe impression in the sheet and that's how we figured out because there wasn't blood okay. on their shoe because they stepped on the top of the sheet. Ah, They left a shoe impression in the blood under the sheet. So when we uncovered her, we're like, whoa, what's this? Did the shoe impression, photographed it, did the whole nine yards. And then here we are. Now we know exactly who it is. We know what size it is. So right. that's how we ended up catching the person. So yeah, that was that's super cool. rad. That was like a little tail off of your that story. That is super but- rad. I love it. So what I did was I said to my CSI community, tell me about a time 
where you had a contaminated crime scene and the responses are epic. Let's see. I was asked to process unpackaged evidence for prints, which probably means the CSI didn't respond to the scene. The officer submitted the item for processing and didn't bother to package it. Somebody wrote that the medical examiner put the handgun in the waistband of his pants after they were already told not to touch it five minutes earlier. What? Okay. So I don't know if it's the medical examiner or like a death investigator. Yeah. Either way, somebody did that thing. Let's see. Asked to process a homicide after everything was moved and every victim was already rolled and shifted. And then once I got there, they left. So basically what she's saying is people finger fucked everything and then tried to (laughs) ask her to do her job. Or him. I'm sorry. He or her. I'm just saying her because you and I are chicks. And then a 350-pound decomposition... On the second floor of a building, yeah, the body, as they were carrying it down the stairs, ripped through the body bag. Oh. So that's like an accidental contamination. Dude, why are you carrying that body? Just get what, do what I talked about before. No, not even a stretcher. They have those inflatable like slides. You oh, just, right. You put that body on the slide. And that Maybe, just you lunch. know what, Shelly, don't be so privileged. Maybe not every agency can afford the slide. <laughs> It's usually next to the AED machine. If y'all ever go to a scene or whatever, mm-hmm. and there's like, well, I mean, if it's in a two-story house, obviously they don't have AED machines. They don't have slides. If you're in a building, look next to the AED machine. There's always a, an inflatable slide right there. Okay. So this one says <laughs> the ceiling completely caved in by rats. One Ew. was in the toilet and the others were feasting on the decedent. Whole. Okay. That's a contamination issue. A little bit. Yeah. Working with the one officer who refuses to wear gloves. Okay, so that's kind of worse than the work gloves because this is like literally just malicious idiocy. Yeah. Had a sergeant touch a homicide gun in a secured house with another officer standing by it. I've actually had chain of command put their hands on things and you're like, I don't care that you have... A brass how many, badge. Yeah. How many bars and stars and stripes you have, sir? Yeah. Can you please take your little digits off of my stuff? Remove. Drop Let's it. Leave it. see. This is the dog episode. I know. Or the episode where the police chief let the commissioner walk on to my suicide uh, scene. Uh-huh, oh, my same. God. Let's hmm. see. An officer moved all of the casings into one spot and told the CSI because it would be easier for them to collect on a drive-by shooting. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, what? So basically, before the CSI got there, the officer picked up all the shell casings and put them in one spot. He or she thought they were helping. (laughs) It's like like when you organize and your kid comes over and they pull everything out and they're like, I'm helping. And you're like, I'm helping. Ah, I know. You're not helping. Let's see. Detective leaving coffee cup on the scene, using chewing tobacco, and spitting on the scene. Bruh, keep your cope in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. If you can't, then swallow that. Keep your long cuts in your mouth. Oh, my God. This next one's good. Hit me. What is it? What is it? The pathologist tried to move a large rock on the scene and (gasps) dropped it on the decedent's head. Oops. My bad. Don't do that, people. My bad. Yeah, that's a good one. 
Detectives throwing down used bloody gloves, creating spatter that was from them. So they created more spatter patterns by taking off their gloves and throwing them on the floor. Okay. And by the way, two or three more for either cigarettes or chewing tobaccos from either detectives or cops. That got submitted several times from different CSIs. I know. Oh, boy. Oh, this is one that we've covered before in our hoarding episode. It says it was summer. There were 30 plus cats with the owner. Basically, the cats had Thanksgiving. Yep. That face is appropriate. I know you guys can't see her face because it's a podcast. Maybe we'll post this on social media. But Shelly's face was appropriate. Officer felt sorry for a burglary victim, so he was picking up broken glass from the point of entry. (laughs) What an idiot. Wait, hold on. He was helping her clean up. Yeah. To be fair, it's not like we can really collect a lot of evidence from the broken glass because typically a hand didn't do that. It's usually a tool. Yeah. But still not best to do. Yeah. Let's see. Overdose on the second floor of a home that had no AC with three full cat litter boxes in July. Wow. More cat stories. What can I tell you? There's several cat stories. Do you know why there's several cats? Why? Who am I? I am your courtroom kitty cat. Y'all are welcome. That's right. Right? Oh, my God. Officer sat on the sofa of a rape scene. So I'm guessing from this submission that the rape happened on the sofa and he, like, sat on it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, senior officer drove his police car over evidence that had just been labeled. You know, like, we were talking about... We take our overall photographs, then we put on evidence tents before we re-photograph. Yeah. So she or he is saying that they had just marked something to photograph it, and the officer drove over the evidence with the evidence marker on it. Yeah, I've seen a, um, there was an accident where someone may have driven over a body. Oh. Because they were backing Uh, up. Oh, oh, I want to know more, please. Yeah, because it was like out in like a field, and there were trees, and... We were actually doing tire impressions and there was people that were ejected and we didn't realize that they were ejected. And, you know, you rope off the crime scene, not knowing how big the crime scene really is sometimes. Oh, no. And someone, you know, pulled in and they're like, oh, wait, hold on. I don't want to go any further. Let me back out. And when they turned, they're like, oh, I must have hit like a log. And that wasn't a log. It was a person. And they rolled right over him. Yikes. That sounds like an uncomfortable report to write. Which, by the way, you guys, I think I might have already trickled into this, but whenever a cop or fire rescue does something to contaminate my evidence, I always document it in my report. Now, I'm not doing this to be shitty with them. I'm doing it because... Later, if something does show up in DNA analysis or latent print examination, you want it articulated in the report so it doesn't look like you were hiding stuff. Exactly. You want to be transparent about your mistakes. Oh my gosh, transparency is key. Yes. I've had to testify to a mistake. I've literally done a deposition where I had to look the defense attorney in the face and answer to me making a mistake. I've done it. It didn't end up freeing their client or having their client get a not guilty verdict it ended up in just me being super embarrassed but i what are you gonna do lie don't lie 
Don't ever lie. Yeah. Don't ever lie. One of the things that I teach, and it's so funny because every single class I go over this, I say, if there's a mistake in your report, you bring it to the attorney's attention because immediately you say, look, there's an error in my report. It's a spelling error or it's a really big error. I put this instead of that, whatever it may be. You have to be transparent and then because they can handle it because otherwise you're going to get on the stand and opposing counsel is going to say, let's talk about this error in your report. And then they're going to talk to your competency and they're going to yeah. say, because you made this error, what other errors are are there? And you're going to say, well, none as far as I know. And then they're going to say, well, what about this? Or they're going to come at you with things. Yeah. It's a tactic, right? Yeah. They don't want the jury to like you. Of course. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty intense. So be transparent. Be honest. There's no reason to lie. We're human. There was a mistake I had to testify to, it being a mistake. And you know what it was, Shelly? I had my compass in my head was off. So even though I had done a sketch with North, South, East, West Compass, when I was writing my report and I was describing the whole structure of the building, somewhere there was a disconnect and I had improperly written, you know, because I'll usually say the door opens to this direction, Yada, yada, the kitchen is in this. But like I was wrong by accident. So I had to say that, which is embarrassing, but at least it's not an integrity issue. It's just kind of, of course, you're insecure. It makes you seem like you're not paying attention or that you're not double checking your work. But it was a relatively benign mistake, luckily. Yeah. So there's me throwing myself under the bus on this podcast. I mean, well, no, you're not because everyone makes mistakes. That's what makes us human. And if anyone thinks that like we're perfect or that they're perfect, listen here, narcissist. You ain't perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Stop judgy, judgy. Though you are in court to be judged, I guess. Well, it depends on your role, but yeah. I don't know. You're in court to be loved. Juries love I have CSI. never experienced. Oh, that's true. But I was going to say, I've never felt loved in court. Well, but no, I, except yeah. for the jury. You just look and smile and you breathe. They do. I usually find the friendliest faced juror. I yeah. actually, I still don't really get nerves for testifying in court. I get impatient. I just want it to be over with. Yeah. Speaking of being over with. Yeah, we should wrap up. <laughs> Do you think our listeners are sick of listening to us? I don't think they're sick of us, but I think that we probably should like go ahead and wrap this one. I think we've done a good job of contaminating this. Contaminating. This episode. <laughs> we've contaminated <laughs> their space for the past forty-five minutes to an hour already. Let's give them a break from us. They've had. Thank you. We love you. <laughs> we absolutely love you. And you know how you can love us back? Do you know how By you can do that? Emailing us. Oh yeah. By rating us and reviewing us. By rating us five stars and reviewing Obviously. us with nice words. Please nice. Be nice. Please nice words. We're and people too. We're people too. <laughs> and find us on social media. You can find us at Crime Scene Queens on TikTok and Instagram. And we do have a Facebook. And then Shelly and I are CSI Laura and CSQ Shelly on Instagram. Yeah. And the Always. email address is, yeah, hello at crimescenequeens.com. Yes. Hello at crimescenequeens.com. Now. Yeah. Tell me more. If you're going to commit a crime. Uh Uh-huh. Do not leave us contaminated evidence at the scene. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it interesting, but not contaminated. Keep it interesting, but not contaminated. Bye for now, everybody. Bye. (laughs) See you next week. Crime Scene Queens is a Q-Code media production. Executive producers, David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Counts House and edited by Will Tendy. 
In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. <laughs> 